Welcome to the Andrew Curtis Show and to the beginning of something a little bit different. Right back when I started this show, I had a very simple goal. I wanted to create something that I would want to listen to. It might seem a little bit selfish, but it was also my way of making sure that any content that appeared on this show had the energy and the genuine commitment to insight-provoking discussion that was at the core of why I started this. For that reason, the interview format's been followed by upwards of 75% of the episodes, the exception being the Science of Happiness series towards the end of last year. This year, I'm looking to diversify even further, and that's what brings us to today's episode. I am, among many other things, a news junkie. I love to know what's happening in the world and to find in-depth discussions on the things that we find the most topical. Lately, I've been thinking more about the limitations inherent to traditional media. The commercial limitations mean that complex stories are often limited to three-minute clips or a single page of text, and this bothers me. (laughs) However, instead of staying bothered, I was inspired. Inspired to try to create my own solution, and so I'm starting here. Can I approach a topic that's already been covered by the mainstream media and add some additional layers of complexity or insight that may otherwise be missing? Thankfully, this week provided an ideal test case, so I'm going to use the next however many minutes to take an in-depth look at Serena Williams at the US Open. By way of background, Serena was competing in the US Open Women's Final on September 9th, or 10th for New Zealand. By the time Naomi Osaka was crowned the winner, we weren't even talking about tennis anymore. It was a discussion about sexism. The catalyst for this discussion came in the form of three code violations issued by chair umpire Carlos Ramos. After thinking of different ways to address this, I've decided the best course of action is to follow the events as they happened chronologically. But let's start with an understanding of what a code violation is. Code violations in tennis apply not to the rules of the game, but the code of behaviour that governs all players. A similar example could be the difference between a regular foul and a technical foul in basketball. A regular foul would apply when you play the man instead of the ball, when an opponent goes for a shot, for example. If you then took that ball and threw it into the stands in protest, that would be a technical foul. Likewise, in tennis, a code violation doesn't occur due to anything like shot selection or ball placement, but behaving in a manner that's not in keeping with the spirit of the game, as determined by the code of behaviour. The penalties for a code violation follow the point penalty schedule, something that will become increasingly relevant as the violations start to stack. The first violation, regardless of its type, is a verbal warning. The second violation includes a one-point penalty. So according to tennis and the scoring system they use, which goes love, 15, 30, 40, and game, a player on 15 would return to zero, or on 40 would be reduced to 30, and so on. A third violation is a full game penalty. So in this instance, a player during a set with a score of five games to three would now face five games to four if they were leading, or it would be six games to three, and that particular set would be over if they were the one behind. Once again, these penalties are due to the number of violations, not a judgment on their severity, and that's a point that will become increasingly relevant in the aftermatch discussions of Serena's um, US Open loss. Serena's first code violation was due to coaching, defined as follows in the Code of Conduct. 
players shall not receive coaching during a tournament match. Communications of any kind, audible or visible, between a player and a coach shall be construed as coaching. It is then clarified in that article that if there is a violation during the match um, of that rule, then that player shall be penalised in accordance to the point penalty schedule. Chair umpire Carlos Ramos observed hand gestures from Serena's coach, Patrick Moritogalu, and thus issued the violation. Now, mercifully enough, to save us on endless conjecture, Moritogalu admitted after the match that he was coaching, though he defaulted to the everyone-does-it defence, which is perhaps a good indication he should stay a coach and not become a lawyer. Another critical point to be made uh, of that is, sorry, another critical point to be aware of uh, that is specific to the coaching code violation also needs to be addressed. Serena made the point that she was at the opposite end of the court and couldn't even see her coach. Sightlines notwithstanding, the laws state that the attempt is enough, and most importantly, the player bears the penalty. This means Serena being issued a code violation was not necessarily an allegation of her cheating, but a necessary consequence of her coach's actions. It appears that her interpretation of that violation was to become the tinderbox for later on in that match. Interestingly, her initial response was quite calm. She said, I understand why you may have thought that was coaching, but I'm telling you it's not. I don't cheat to win. I'd rather lose. Now, she reiterated that at a changeover, and Ramos seemed to agree. He said, I know that too. I understand your reaction as well. I've never seen that in many years, and I know that. To which Williams said, thank you so much. Now, at that moment, she also made an error. She interpreted Ramos' understanding as an admission of fault and that he had taken back the warning. But he didn't. A final point to address before moving to the second code violation was whether the umpire was too harsh and should have issued a soft warning, said in air quotes, uh, one without beginning the progression of the penalty point schedule. Your feelings on this will likely be shaped by your opinions of the two parties involved, as it amounts to a, if things were different, would things have been different debate. So, as such, the answer here is, perhaps. What can be said for sure is that investigation after the match has confirmed Ramos has a well-established reputation for being a stickler for the rules, in which case, although some may not like his interpretation, his judgment is consistent with his view of how the game should be umpired. The second code violation is the easiest to evaluate. Later in the second set, Serena had her serve broken and smashed her racket in response. A look back at the code of conduct is as follows. Abuse of rackets or equipment is defined as intentionally and violently destroying or damaging rackets or equipment. The penalty for a violation here is also done in accordance with the point penalty schedule. Serena smashed her racket, instant code violation. This is where the penalty point schedule comes into play. As this is now her second violation, she is penalised a single point. It's also where her frustration begins to show. Listen to her response. This is unbelievable. Every time I play here, I have problems. She continues with, I didn't get coaching. I didn't get coaching. I didn't get coaching. You need to make an announcement that I didn't get coaching. I don't cheat. I didn't get coaching. How can you say that? She continued with, you owe me an apology. You owe me an apology. I've never cheated in my life. 
I have a daughter and I stand for what is right for her and I have never cheated. You owe me an apology. This is a remarkable response, as it doesn't, rem- uh, doesn't relate to the immediate violation in question. It relates to the earlier coaching violation. What we already know for sure is that her coach was coaching. We also know that the violation is not necessarily an indictment of William's character. It's an automatic response to the actions of her coach. Listen again to Ramos' response after the first violation. Williams, I don't cheat to win. I'd rather lose. Ramos, I know that too. I understand your reaction as well. I've never seen that in many years, and I know that. In this context, that is directly addressing cheating. Again, we could argue over whether a player should bear the penalty for their coach's behaviour, but right now, the rules are very clear, and Ramos is a stickler for the rules. The third violation, and Serena's response, is the grounds for the greatest amount of controversy. The violation was for verbal abuse, and once again, we look to the code of conduct for our terms of reference. Players shall not at any time verbally abuse any official, opponent, spectator, or other person within the precincts of the tournament site. If such a violation occurs during a match, the player shall be penalised in accordance with the point penalty schedule. So, what caused the code violation? Here's the transcript. Williams again to Carlos Ramos. For you to attack my character, something is wrong. It's wrong. You're attacking my character. Yes, you are. You owe me an apology. You will never, ever be on another court of mine as long as you live. You are a liar. When are you going to give me my apology? You owe me an apology. Say it. Say you're sorry. Well, then don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. How dare you insinuate I was cheating? For there, there was a pause, followed by, You stole a point from me. You're a thief too. For further clarification, let's check the 2018 official Grand Slam rulebook. Verbal abuse is defined as a statement about an official, opponent, sponsor, spectator, or other person that implies dishonesty or is derogatory, insulting, or otherwise abusive. Williams has called the umpire a liar and a thief. Q, code violation, verbal abuse, game penalty, Mrs. Williams. This was Williams' response. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Because I said you're a thief, you stole a point from me, I'm not a cheater. I told you to apologise to me. Excuse me, I need the referee. I don't agree with that. In the interest of dealing with things one point at a time, and because there was some controversy around this moment, let's look at the cause and effect. Williams was not penalised uh, a game because of what she said specifically. The one-game penalty was a result of this being her third code violation. Later in the press conference, Williams stated he's never taken a game from a man because they said, thief, it blows my mind. Now, strictly speaking, she's correct, but this is still a misrepresentation. It's true that Ramos has never taken a game from anyone due to being called a thief. He has, however, issued code violations for verbal abuse before, Most notably, in the 2016 Olympics, he issued Andy Murray with a code violation when he thought the reigning champion had called him stupid. At the time, Murray said, I didn't say stupid umpire, I said stupid umpiring. But if you want to be the star of the show, that's fine. As they spoke uh, in a break between games. 
But William's main complaint was not that Ramos was grandstanding. Again, I'll read it in her own words. This is not right. He said I was being coached, but I was not being coached. That's not right. You know me. You know my character. This is not fair. This has happened to me too many times. This is not fair. To lose a game for saying that this is not fair. Do you know how many men do things that are much worse than that? This is not fair. She continued to say, There are a lot of men out here that have said a lot of things, and because they are a man, it doesn't matter. This is unbelievable. No, I don't know the risks, because if I say a simple thing, a thief, because he stole a point from me. There are men out here who do a lot worse, and because I'm a woman, you're going to take this away from me. That is not right. And you know it, and I know you can't admit it, but I know you know that it's not right. I know you can't change it, but I'm just saying that it's not right. I get the rules, but I'm just saying it's not right. It happens to me at this tournament every single year, and it's not fair. That's all I have to say. What a journey it has been to get to this point, you know? We're about, what, uh, 13 minutes in, and we're finally at the main meat of the discussion. Was William's treatment a display of sexism from Carlos Ramos? Do men get away with speaking to the umpires in ways that women do not? Let's look at some examples from the past. Uh, in 1990, John McEnroe. Now, there might be this mystique around McEnroe as being a player who could get away with saying in anything that he wanted. In 1990, he very much learned that was not the case. He was disqualified in his fourth round match for three, co for three code violations. He received a warning, a second warning for record abuse, and was disqualified after verbally abusing the chair umpire. In 1990, Andre Agassi called the chair umpire a son of a bitch and spat on him. He was assessed a penalty point, which was later rescinded as the spit was considered accidental. Accidental spitting, huh? In 1995, Jeff Tarango told spectators to shut up and earned a violation, and a second one after he called the chair umpire the most corrupt official in the game. He was also fined £28,000 and banned from the tournament the following year. This was in 1995 money. Fast forward a little bit, let's go to 1998. Pete Sampras, another great in the game, war, received a warning for shouting an obscenity in uh, the ATP World Championships. Um, and in fact, more recently, a few examples from uh, Grigor Dimitrov, smashed a racket three times, resulting in a warning, a point penalty, and another point penalty later on. Denis uh, Sharapalov was disqualified after hitting the chair umpire with a ball that was hit in anger. That was in, uh, sorry, in February 2017. In 2018, July 23rd, in fact, uh, Jan Martin was disqualified after pointing a racket at an opponent and saying, you can put that in your butt. Charming. If we look specifically at the 2018 Open, the men were issued 86 code violations and the women 22. But what of Carlos Ramos himself? Does he have a track record of a sexist application of code violations? Well, as I mentioned, Ramos has a reputation for being a stickler for the rules. In 2017, at the French Open, Novak Djokovic was given a fault on his serve by Ramos for time violations. He then also received a code violation for unsportsmanlike conduct after yelling. In 2018, at Wimbledon, Ramos gave Djokovic another code violation for slamming his racket into the ground. Uh, Djokovic actually complained about a double standard from Ramos, who didn't penalise Kei Nishikori for something similar. 
uh, in the 2017 French Open, Ramos called a time violation on Rafael Nadal, and Nadal thought the call was selectively enforced and said he was not satisfied with it. In the 2016 French Open, Ramos called Nick Kyrgios uh, for a time violation for yelling at a towel boy. Uh, at the 2016 French Open, Venus Williams was called for receiving coaching during a match. Like her sister, she denied she'd cheated. She said, I'm 36 years old. I play fair. Two more examples from Ramos's history. In August 2016, at the Olympics, Ramos called Andy Murray for a code violation. We've talked about that already. And then lastly, in July 2017, Ramos called Andy Murray for a time violation for playing too slowly. Murray acknowledged he had been warned before receiving the violation, but was still bothered by it. So prior to the US Open final, one of seven violations was against a woman. Ironically enough, it was Serena Williams' sister. Interestingly enough, there may have been another incident earlier in the tournament that made things more difficult for Serena. Now, Carlos Ramos has been criticised for not doing more to talk down an upset player, but consider this from former pro tennis player Greg Rosetsky. We had a situation with Nick Kyrgios earlier in the tournament where the chair umpire got off the chair to try not to have the microphones there. He got crucified for doing that. So Carlos did the right thing by staying in the chair. It's not his job to calm Serena down. Uh, Now, Nick Kyrgios also has a track record of code violations for for poor behaviour, in addition to the one I'd mentioned earlier. So one could argue he received favourable treatment in this incidence, uh, and why not others, which leads to one uncomfortable reality of sporting officialdom. Be it tennis or rugby or football, there is and will always be a measure of the umpire's discretion when applying the rules of the game. That discretion will always alienate those with an alternate view and vindicate those who see it the same way. The question each individual must answer in this case relates to the consistency of past judgments in regards to the letter of the law, as a claim of sexism is a claim of inconsistency by definition. But there's also been a measure of blowback against Williams for comments such as these. Again, directly quoting, But I've seen other men call umpires several things. I'm here fighting for women's rights and for women's equality and for all kinds of stuff. For me to say thief and for him to take a game, it made me feel like it was a sexist remark. He's never taken a game from a man because they said thief, it blows my mind. We talked about that comment earlier. Carrying on, she says, I feel like the fact that I have to go through this is just an example for the next person that has emotions and wants to express themselves and wants to be a strong woman. If we are to address the strongest part of her argument, we need to address the claim that strong-willed women are treated differently. Is this true? Well, this is where I need to acknowledge that I cannot speak for a woman's experience with any authority. Though I would like to attempt a perspective that may exist somewhere in between the Pollyanna-ish notion that women are already treated equally all the time, or the more dystopian notion that they're consistently mislabeled or misunderstood. The first question I believe needs to be answered is this. Are men and women the same? Biology and psychology are not in debate about this. No, men and women are not the same. They're different. Therefore, if men and women are different, they will behave differently. If men and women behave differently 
they will be treated differently. Sometimes this difference is for the better and sometimes it's for the worse. Taking a male example, the male suicide rate is more than double that of females. One strategy that's been employed is to encourage men to talk about their feelings and their emotional state, something that women generally are better at expressing. For all of this, the notion of emotional expression for men still has some serious cultural hurdles to overcome. Although there's a sense of this changing, how likely is a man to be seen crying in public compared to a woman? And if he does, how much more likely is the response to be scornful or that he needs to harden up? The point here is that when a male diverts from typical male behaviour, it's surprising to us and less likely to be well received. Now, that doesn't make it okay, but it does allow for some grace towards the motivations of others who don't know how to respond to behaviour that isn't gender typical. For women, psychology has shown that they are generally less comfortable with showing aggression or assertiveness. Now, consider Serena Williams. Serena is aggressive in the best sense of the word. Her aggressive court presence has been a contributing factor to becoming the greatest tennis player of all time, male or female. However, as this is uncommon amongst women, and at the very least is encountered with surprise, at worst with derision and scorn, I have no doubt that Serena has encountered this scorn and derision many times. It's for this reason that I don't believe her response or filtering of the event as sexist was necessarily a cynical power play. I believe that she may well have had countless experiences of this in the past which would lead her to think that way. That does not change our expectations of her behaviour either, rather that it's our own negative or black and white thinking that stands in our way. As I come to a conclusion, it's also striking to me how much work is required to respond to an allegation, and I'm forced to consider why our legal system places the burden of proof on the accuser and not the accused. We are innocent until proven guilty. This makes us very uncomfortable because it can be used to protect the guilty, but it also protects the innocent. The alternative, where you are guilty until proven innocent, is much more open to the abuse of power. Be careful who you label, because if the roles are ever reversed, you'll want the same protection for yourself. And this has been the first of this new style of episode for The Andrew Curtis Show. If you enjoyed it, please let me know. You can uh, send me a message on the Facebook page. Go to facebook.com slash The Andrew Curtis Show or email me, theandrewcurtisshow at gmail.com. You're also more than welcome to make a suggestion on the next topic that I take on in this new style of show. Thank you once again for listening. I hope it was uh, thought-provoking, if nothing else, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Bye for now. Thank <laughs> you.